This is Counterculture with Marie Busky. Wednesdays at 10 a.m. on Reality Chick Radio. Good morning and welcome back to Counterculture here with Marie on Reality Check Radio. I cannot believe it's been six months in between drinks, but it has. Rachel Stewart from Riding Shotgun is back. And you're back in the saddle, my friend. I'm back in the saddle. You always get back on your horse. That's what you have to do in life. Yeah, yeah. It's so good to have you back on. And oh, man, I can't believe hey, we've been, it's been six months since we've been. It's been six. I thought it was probably longer. It's been a very long winter for me. And as I was just telling you before, I lost yeah. my um, voice thinking, oh, it's just laryngitis. And then it went on and on for five months. And it was a paralyzed vocal cord. So about three weeks ago, I had a coughing fit. And I must have put it back online somehow. And David here I am. <laughs> about eight, eight reboot, yes. reset and about 80% back. So I'm a little bit frail in the voice. But um, compared to how it's been where I haven't been able to speak at all, uh, it's brilliant. I'm feeling a lot better about things. Yeah, yeah. And I noticed, and of course, because of course I've been checking in with you across that time to see where you've been at. And then I saw you uh, started writing again, which is awesome. Obviously, you're feeling a lot better. We're heading into the spring and the summer. What are some of the things that you sort of, what's tickling your fancy to write about, do you think? Oh, it's, you know, I'm going to be absolutely honest with you and tell you that it's absolutely non-political, basically because the world is so effed Mm. um, and everything is upside down. I'm always wanted to write essays and I've completed a few over winter. And so it's 10 essays, just vignettes of my life, which tells people, why I've become the problematic and difficult person they see before them today. So basically, just I'm taking 10 stories that I think are worth telling uh, in an essay-type style. Yeah, and I thought it was time. You know, I was a columnist for 10 years, and I had to work to deadlines. And it's been such a – it's been a bad thing and a good – it's been a bad thing in a way because it stopped me writing once I gave up being a columnist. But the good thing is that I realise now that I only was a columnist really so I could just write. You know, sometimes my opinions, I look back on them and think, oh, my God, mind you, the world's changed since I wrote them. But um, it was always about the writing. And so this is about writing and I need to tell some stories before I die. And there are so many great stories out there, too. Yeah, there are. And if people know how to write, then you've got the world at your fingertips. And I thought, well, my partner's been nagging me for years, and I mean nagging. And I just thought, I need this nagging to stop. So um, that sounds terrible, but it's the truth. And because she just thinks I'm a star, I don't necessarily think that myself, but she just thinks it's good for me to write, and she's right. Mm. And I, I just needed to get off the chuff and and do these stories. So that's that's what I've done, and mm. I've decided to make it on my writing shotgun. If you want those essays, one a month coming through in the next twelve months, I've put a pay thing up. Not much because you know I want to be rewarded for some of it, and I've had pledges from lots and lots of people to pay. So I'm really pleased about that. Oh, that's fantastic. Mm. Is well, yeah, you know, as you know, I can't do any mainstream stuff because A, I don't want to, and B, they don't want me. Well, I mean, looking at it, the, you know, I was talking to uh, Marty, who I do my media matters with, and he's an ex journal himself. And mm-hmm. so both of us had a stint with 90s for me, uh, early 2000s for him. Then we've sort of gone off and done other things. And we've both mm-hmm. come back to it with the station. And it's interesting, you know, when you, because the difference in time from then to now. And one of the things I said to him the other day, like I was a bit glum, you know, I was actually really fractious the other weekend. And what it was, was I have to follow the election campaign. I've always been very politically engaged, but it was the swing in the media. And it took me, I was really angry with myself because it took me a few days to put my finger on it. They, I got triggered. 
because they went back to that fear mechanism that had mm. been deployed d- during COVID to try and sway voters' decisions heading into the last week of the campaign of the election. And I thought, you bastards, how do you do that? Absolutely. And once you see it, and once you know the tactic, and you and I both do, you can't not see it. And so the respect for the media was so low, apart from you guys, really, um, who were changing the game. And I just talked to so many people now that I can talk. People are seeing it. People are actually seeing this now. The, you know, the average person is now realising just how biased the media is and how our mainstream media in New Zealand is directing us down a particular channel for what they want. It's, it's very off-putting, and I don't even want to work for mainstream New Zealand stuff anymore while this continues. But I suspect we're going to see very soon uh, after the election some toppling of some of these media giants. I think stuff's on the way. Well, and NZME too, I think, is experiencing yeah. issues. Well, they all are, because let's they face it, they've, they've been suckling on the state tit for quite some time now. <laughs> yes, they have. And it's it's got to end sometime. And the reality, I think, of what everyday New Zealanders have been facing is now actually going to become quite stark to those Absolutely. who have been sheltered from it. Absolutely. And mm. I, don't, I, don't, I don't know why they didn't see that at the time, that this was going to... I actually saw River of Freedom last night, first time I've seen it, and uh, I was pretty wide afterwards. It was good. It was good. It was overly long, but it was very good. A bit emotive, of course, because it was an emotional time. But, you know, that's if they think those New Zealanders and the people who watched like me and you from the sidelines, because, you know, we weren't really down, well, I wasn't down there. If they thought that anger had just dissipated, they'd dream it. Yeah. yeah. It's hardened, in fact. And now the the electorate's about to find out, well, the the politicians are about to find out that that anger is palpable and Mm. uh, it's going to be a very interesting result. Mm. Yeah, it will be. And I've had a number of people come to me knowing that I'm engaged in doing this, asking me, please explain, you know, the fluctuation within the minor parties, particularly the very quick decline of the ACT Party and the ascension of New Zealand First. And it's like, it's easy because it comes down to who's listening. Yeah, absolutely. It comes down to who's listening. And it's as simple as that. And you're right, there's, um, I know for us, for a lot of people, COVID and the COVID and the pandemic is over. But, you know, actually, is it? Even if you were fully on board with a lot of the measures, how's your business holding up? Yeah. Or how's your job going? Or mm. how are you feeling about what you're paying at the petrol pump or at the mm. supermarket? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's not over. No, it's not over. And what I realised last night when I went to this movie, I got home about half past ten, and I couldn't sleep. I mean, I was awake half the night because I was so wired and angry again. I was re-angered again about. I mean, it was great to see these people doing what they did, and they're bloody heroes, really, uh, for what they did. And we should all be thanking them. And I think most of New Zealand will in a decade, maybe, but maybe if we're all still here. But um, it really wired me, and I thought, yeah, it's that palpable anger of being treated differently for not playing the game. And, you know, I didn't play the game, and uh, it was okay. I worked for myself, but you were a leper. You Mm -hmm. were a leper. And hearing the things being said about us and for making a choice what to do with your own body or not to do and not agreeing with mandates and having some humanity and watching the media do what they did, yeah, it was a very interesting time and it was life-changing. Once the election results all solidify, there will be a period of time, I believe, where the media and those in that governmental elite will 
have try and memory hole a lot of this stuff. You know, it mm-hmm. will be let's soften the over the mm-hmm. the period of distance, and it, it it's a bit like childbirth. You know, it really wasn't as as bad. As it <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. That's right. It's, uh, it's, it's almost like these crazy lies and myths you get told. I don't know whether you're finding this at the moment. It's like menopause. You know, it's like the secret cabal, the the stuff they do not tell you. The stuff they do not tell you. Stuff they do not tell you. And this is what I feel like this is going to be like. I know that my my husband especially, he's still carrying a lot of anger. He was like you. He saw River of Freedom and it was so powerful. I sat there the whole time with a tissue feeling like mm. I was going to burst into tears any minute. That's me. He sort of sat there and several times I looked over and he, he was white knuckled on the mm. uh, the chairs of the cinema. You know, he I could see the anger. It was all coming back and it was... Mm. important that we saw it and it was cathartic in one sense but it was it's amazing how close to the surface that anger still is after you know what 18 months since yeah uh, I was surprised I was really surprised at my reaction actually I I just couldn't sleep so I had a gin and sat you know sat down and tried to do a crossword I couldn't concentrate on that and I was just yeah I was wide because it was a massive thing for New Zealand it was the, it felt like the de- the way the whole thing was done. It just felt like the death of something really precious, you know. Mm. And you, a New Zealand that I and you grew up in, that we realised had just changed, and it's never been the same since, unfortunately. And it's a it's a sad thing about New Zealand. You, if you stay away from the media, which is pretty impossible when you're a media person like me and you, um, but if you stay away from it, and just sit out with the birds and the trees and do some farm work or do something. You can kind of convince yourself that everything's the same, but as soon as you sit down in front of a screen, yeah, you know it isn't. I mean, you live in provincial New Zealand, as do I, Mm. and I have certainly seen a frustration from those living in provincial New Zealand. I've never seen the urban-rural divide as great as it is today. What about you? Yeah, I because I've got a foot in those camps, uh, both camps, actually, I don't... Yeah, I, I don't know. I what I see is anti-farming rhetoric everywhere. So I guess yes, it's media-driven at the moment. But the urban, yeah, I mean yes, Aucklanders don't really relate to anything going on in Wanganui or Napier or wherever you are. Um, it feels that way. Uh, we've lost that touch with uh, you know. We we used to all have somebody. Everybody had somebody on a farm somewhere. Or relatives now that seems to have been severed. So yes, I guess so. I guess so. But I feel like there's a bigger divide than urban rural, and it's just divide between tribes. Mm. And, and you know, I, I think there's less of less of that divide between yeah country and town, and more about they don't like you because you uh, like Winston Peters, or they don't like you because you like anything that doesn't fit the narrative. Yeah. So it's yeah, it's the tribalism is out of control. And of course, we you know now we've got Israel going on. Um, well, from a cultural perspective, I've just literally spoken to Libby Emmons prior to this, and she's the editor in chief of Post Millennial, mm. and she said exactly the same thing. She's never seen the divide between Democrat and Republican as great mm. as it is before, and now the conflict in Israel is a really interesting cultural phenomenon because. As I said to her, you know, the Jewish people and faith has always been something that straddles the cultural divide. Mm. Like the those in the culture war on the social justice side of things would like to use that as a uh, lever 
to strengthen their position, but at the same token, they will equally uplift the identity and the ability of those from Muslim or Palestinian faith. So you've got this sort of juxtaposition between the two, and then you have this conflict. Traditionally, it's usually once, you know, they'll press down on retaliation of Israel against Palestine or the West Bank, or in this case, Mm. Gaza. And now you've got, you know, this conflict that has come the other way. It is horrific. And how do, how do you reconcile? How do you reconcile people who are now going out, traditional social justice warriors, saying, oh, this is perfectly justified when anybody with a set of eyes can go, mm-hmm. this is truly, truly awful. Well, what fascinates me is that people are not, some people are saying to me, oh, well, I can't watch those. I, 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 I'm triggered. I can't watch those videos, you know, the woman on the back of the truck with her knees at, impo- at impossible angles. and shots of dogs being killed in the driveways and you know all the stuff and i've seen a lot of it don't like it but they say to me these people that the but people i call them but you know palestine but but if you're not prepared to watch it i don't know you need to feel that visceral visceral pain and anguish and horror and then it changes everything and i think if you're not prepared to watch that gruesomeness and said in its totality and see what it is depraved, then don't comment to me. It's like it's like when you eat meat, which I do, and we've talked about this before. Mm. If you can't watch the process, don't eat meat. If you can't watch what we do to animals to get our meat, if you can't even do it yourself, you probably shouldn't do it. And that's the disconnect that humans have got now. This is just my thoughts. But, yeah, and I, what I'm saying to the people is, well, I think, you know, if it might be triggering, but that's a good thing because you're not seeing the big picture because this isn't war in a traditional sense. No. This is wiping Jews off the face of the earth and making people, this is just, this is just made, every, everything's up in the air. We're just looking to see where the chips are going to land now. Mm. And how do you explain to people, I mean, I look, it's a conflict that's gone on not only for decades, but not only centuries, but thousands of years. Yes, I know. It's, so it's unbelievable. You, and it is just so heartbreaking. And, I, and as a, someone from the outside looking in, I just look at the entire thing, for everybody involved, and just think, wow, this is so utterly tragic for, for everyone there. And Oh, absolutely. And yeah. that sort of gets lost. And it's almost, too, the same. Um, I mean, the political football that Russia-Ukraine has turned into. And again, those, I mean, I've got Russian friends and I've met and spoken to Ukrainians as well, just socially. And as they've said, oh, you know, what it's, it's not, it's what's it, what it's about is not what they say it's about. No, that's right. And well, and, that. Yeah. And, but it's, so that's, that's the thing about war, you know, the first casualty of war is the truth. Well, mm. that first few days in Israel, that's the truth. That's Hamas showing you who they are. They filmed it, they filmed killing the grandmother with her own phone and stuck it up on the internet, on her Facebook page. That's telling you something. And I think this first week is the first honest week. From here on in, it's propaganda and bullshit. But that first visceral look at what these people are wanting to do, they hate the Jews. Mm. They want them wiped off the face of the earth. They've always wanted it. Now they are trying to achieve it. And I think it's a very scary time. I'd hate to be Jewish right now. And I mm. really feel for them. Oh yes, so do I, I feel for I feel for Palestinians too, of course. But you know, Hamas rules the roost down there, and Hamas have, don't care about those people. It's just why they put their officers under hospitals, and you know they don't care. They have a different idea about the sanctity of life. 
than most of us in the Western world. And so, yeah, at this stage, I'm feeling pretty raw about all that. Mm. Yeah. Um, back home, of course, we've got yeah the aftermath to get through with the election. And we uh, it will be interesting to see how everything settles out once it's all said and done. Mm. I'm kind of hoping some healing can finally happen for everyone here. I know for me, I'm over it. I'm certainly wanting to try and sort of forge things forward. But it will, it's going to be a marathon, not a sprint, I think. And I think a lot of people, particularly that have been in that camp that have been demonised like we have, We've got to remember that it's going to take a while to unpick and roll back everything that's actually transpired over the last few years. Mm. If we ever do. If we yeah, if we ever do. Mm. What are some of the things um, that you're seeing? Are you still got any contact with your mates in the media? Are you still talking to any of them sort of behind <laughs> enemy lines? Or, or, or have they all decided you're a bit too hot to handle? Oh, people? they've always decided that. I mean, you know, as soon as I wrote that column, they disappeared. Look. The only, I don't have really many mates in the media uh, anymore, not mates. I certainly have contacts, but not many. People don't want to be seen with me because, you know, I, I think that women are women. You know, it's a terrible sin to think that. And there's only one journalist that has ever apologised to me, and she apologised to me publicly, and I love her for it. And that was uh, for, for not being there for me when the shit hit the fan. And that was uh, Rachel Smalley, who I have a lot of respect for. And this person who's been into conflict zones, she's an adult. She knows her stuff. She's brilliant. Yeah, and, I mean, she's back in the media at the moment with the yeah. scandal Harmac. in regards to Parmac. Yeah, yeah oh, she's, don't underestimate her. She's, But she publicly apologised to me on Twitter and said a few months back, and I actually was very emotional about that because she is the only person in the media, mainstream media, who has apologised to me for not backing me and not speaking up. She wasn't brave enough, she said. And that's how toxic the trans debate is. Mm. But I admire her for that apology, and I'm I'm very fond of Rachel. She's great. Mm. It will be, as you said before, it'll be interesting to see what happens in regards to media and where things shake out. I mean, we saw the first sort of wave of that with the the, the fall of Today FM, obviously, and Rachel was was yes. there. Yeah, and that was actually awful. And a number of them have fallen on their feet. I mean, Duncan Garner stayed, you know, stayed on the mothership, as it were. But then he did something incredibly brave several weeks back and interviewed on his podcast to see Mahotra. I nearly, I couldn't yes. believe it. I was like, whoa. Yes. There's that- a change. There's a change of yeah. foot. People are starting to talk to the to the other side a little bit more. I think people are softening on a lot of things. And, mm. uh, yeah, well, they need to because the world, you know, the world's a very weird place right now and we all need to be, you know, well, that was the thing about River of Freedom that you saw. They probably had very different politics, most of those people, although most of them were Labour and Green supporters, but everyone was happy and loved each other and the big issue was mandates. And I think New Zealand's going to have to get into that too. Yeah, it is. I am sort of feeling a softening and I just wonder now whether that will continue with the change and... Oh, we'll find something else to fight about. Yes, true. We everyone's will. kind of, you know, hooking into Winston Peters and I voted for Winston. I don't care who knows it. There's very sound reasons for doing that. Um, there's a huge wave of support behind them. And I just tell people that's what I'm doing. And and then some people get very angry because, oh, my God, you know, national, you've got to get national clear run. I don't trust them. I don't trust the mainstream media. I don't trust the mainstream political parties. So, mm. you know, we've got to do something outside the box. I've never voted for Winston in my life. Me neither. I did it. I I I yeah. ummed and ard and ummed and ard, and then I had a yeah. bit of a rant last week. 
about it, and which I'm not apt to do. I'm usually not a ranter. I was the same as you. I, it took me a while to reconcile yep. 2017. Yep. And I think a lot of people were in the same boat. The turning, the real turning point for me is I interviewed Casey Casado, Erica Harvey, and Kirsten Murphy. Right. That was the turning point for me. Good, good woman. Yep. Really good woman. To get Erica and Kirsten over the line, certain numbers needed to be reached. And Casey, I've always ha- been fond of, and her writing and work with Hobson's Pledge. And I just sort of thought, well, there's no one else. There is no one else. If yeah. I want to be realistic yes. about that party vote, there was nobody else that yeah. I could do. I mean, I'd been I'd been an act voter for more than twenty years. Oh, this is a and big shift for you. Big shift for me. Yeah. My vote compass sits, I sit right on top of that. So, and that's because I've been self-employed for a long time. So, of course, the financial and fiscal policies uh, with ACT resonate very naturally with me. Mm. I'm also a libertarian. And if you're a libertarian, you cannot be for mandates. And no. David, no. he doubled down. He did, and I, I won't forgive that. Yeah, and he's really kind of cocked up this election a bit, isn't he? He's running on some different fuel. It's sort of he's he's uh, pinging slightly, and yeah. Um, yeah. he is. He's just not. He's he's put the wrong petrol in the car. I think Winston's humming, and I mean, I saw him last night, and he was at the River of Freedom thing, and I thank God they had a footage of him there, you know, talking to the crowd. I just looked at what he said; it was completely honest and true. He gets things on a level of somebody that's been a around a long time, who's old school New Zealand. But also, you know, it was a double whammy for me when he, when he said, we don't want people with male appendages and toilets with women. I thought, yeah, I've got to have someone that says that. Some, the thing about Winston is he's using the words WF, WHO, mm. and he's he's talking about things that other parties just won't go anywhere near. Like, they think that we don't know. You know, Luxon sort of said, oh, I don't know anything about the WEF. Well, well, you know he knows about the WEF. You know, don't lie. I just think that he's saying the words that, sure, he might be untrustworthy. Sure, we, I don't think he is particularly, but I think they all are, really, in their own mm. way. And But he's been a man of action at times, like the wine box and various other things, and he gets it. And, he and you know, if Luxon had jumped on the trans train thing, he'd be doing well, but he just didn't, he doesn't understand and he doesn't get it. Well, he's, I mean, this is the thing. National, I think, have relied a lot on allowing the others to lose as opposed to them fighting to win. That's it. That's it. It's a kind of an elite little thing. And he hasn't realized that he just, it seems like he just doesn't want to put a foot wrong, which means he's boring and bland and very vanilla. Fine. He's run a safe campaign. It hasn't resonated for me. I needed someone who wants to take on the the rottenness that and corruption that we're seeing now. We're seeing mm. corruption in New Zealand now. We've always known it's there, but it, now we really know it's there. Mm. So I, I I want Winston for that. He's a fighter. Mm. And what will be interesting too is how nego- coalition negotiations uh, settle out. Yes. And and again the distance. And this is why I got angry about the fear thing. I said to Marty last uh, last week. I said, you know, what did him did Luxon and Chris Bishop go and have a beer of a day and decide? Oh, I know. Let's go and ter- terrify the bejesus out of the people and tell them there could be a second election. <laughs> yeah, that was actually nasty stuff. It was yeah. undemocratic. Just... It was it was a dumb thing to say. Yeah, really dumb. What I will be intrigued to see is what policy does get over the line because there are things, and I've said this conversation with some people around uh, the COVID measures. So for me, an expanded and proper independent COVID inquiry is 
something that if that happens, and I think there is a good likelihood that that will be one of the things that will stay, because that's an easy thing to agree to, is to expand that. And so it shows a point of difference from what was already there. But the Mm. other thing with that as well is that he also threw in there the compensation for vaccine injured and those who had lost jobs. Now, realistically, we know that that will probably not happen, realistically. Probably not. However, what that does is it gives him, it's like, okay, I'll take that off the table, but in order for me to take that off the table, I need to keep the COVID inquiry there. And I think that's the only, I think that's why he threw that out there. Yeah. Is to, is to give him some uh, some leverage in a, in a bargaining chip. And also, too, the whole UNDRIP uh, pulling out from that UN uh, rights to Indigenous peoples. Because that's just at this division now. Mm. I mean, the division, I mean, so you're in Wanganui and you're like where I, I mean, I'm here on the East Coast. You have a really established Māori population. I have never seen division, not only between Māori Pākehā, but within, within hapū of Māori here on the ground. I've never seen it like, like I have now. And it's oh, really? really sad. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I, so yeah, I'm not so sure in Wanganui. I, um, I'm not really in touch with that. My partner is. Yeah, we 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 had a lot of Wanganui is a funny place because we had Motua Gardens Portal, Buckeye mm. Tory now, um in ninety-five. Is Ken Mayer still around? Oh yeah, he is. He's he's a really he's um a person that if you want an advocate for anything, you go to Ken Mayer, he's gonna help you. He's he's highly respected here, actually. And Tariana Turi is here. I think, you know, how many people have a kind of, I don't know if I'm right or wrong, but I've lived here a lot most of my life, not all of my life, but I've come home anyway. We've kind of got to a kind of an interesting place, actually, because of, of Motua and that battle and then you're handing it back and all the helicopters were coming and in the background the mountain was erupting, like Rupe was erupting at the same time. and So we've been through some real big battles and, I think you know, I have a feeling Wanganui's, uh, our race relations here feel pretty good. Mm. But talking to Pakia, they're feeling pretty like everybody else in New Zealand, feeling pretty bad about co-governance and pretty bad about, well, just code for apartheid, really. No one's worth two votes over somebody else's one, that sort of stuff. So there's a profound shift there. I feel sorry for Maori who are feeling that. And But, the, you know, again, this only, all this stuff only helps the Maori elite. Mm. You know, let's face it, that money doesn't trickle down to the people. No. And it hasn't. But yeah, there's a bit of intertribal stuff going on. But Maori have always had that. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not. I don't know about it in my day to day life. But I certainly feel New Zealand's really feeling white. New Zealand particularly is feeling very put upon right now, mm. and that's not a good thing. And what's interesting about it is that it's all white wokies that are doing it. It's not Maori that are actually doing it. I mean, of course, the elites are going to go along with it because there's money. But it's white wokies telling everybody what's good for them, and that's the bit that sticks in my core. And it doesn't help that you've got people like uh, Rawiri Waititi turning around saying how he's not really that keen on democracy, but that's okay because he actually speaks for Almighty, so things will be good. Uh, uh, yeah. You know, he's, and their genes are superior. That's right. I remember somebody else saying, I think it was um, somebody called Hitler. You don't say that. You don't say your genes are superior to anybody because they're not. It's rubbish. So that guy's on the way out. Te Party Māori's not looking good. 
it's sad, but it's he's it's too radical. Yeah, well, I look because of course I, f- I do follow a lot of the Māori politics more closely, and, and as you said, you've got Tariana Turia over there, and mm-hmm. that party is it, completely unrecognisable from like the, the party like the of Tariana and, and Dr yeah. Peter Sharples. Complete, people that I respected. Yeah, even Marima Fox was pretty good in comparison, <laughs> but this it's like the Greens. I mean, I just I've got some choice words for anybody right now who's, who's voting Green if they. Come to me, anybody I know, and says I voted green. It's like the door's shutting, man. I'm not really interested in talking about that right now, considering Palestine and Israel. And that was the thing with New Zealand First versus the Greens is that New Zealand First says what it says on the tin. Yeah, it does. The yeah. Greens not so much. Well, the Greens don't care about the environment. That's that's no. just not what they care about. It's no. done. Actually, Chris Trotter said on uh, this on the station last week. He was saying that one of the things that the because the Greens have been really absent, you know, in the whole campaign. It's like where are they? And and if they did pop up, the person they popped out there and his wee shiny shoot suit and his sort of nice smile and oh yeah, actually I wouldn't mind if my daughter bought that home, you know, for dinner uh, was James Shaw because he was. I mean, he's the most normal of them. Because let's face it, if they're turning around and accusing New Zealand first of quote unquote having conspiracy theorists and radicals, really? I mean, if you said that in the green glass house, one would not have to scratch the surface Very. too deeply to see what the depth no. there is. And it yeah. does concern me the number of new MPs that are now being swept in. Mm on the fact that those who are traditional Labour still can't bring themselves to leap the Overton window even to the centre. And so for them, the choices are to party Māori or green, and they've gone green. Yeah, and then 14, there's the gullible. So. Yeah, 14%. I'm, just, I'm disturbed by that, and I really hope that people start listening to some of their rhetoric, which has been going on for years around Palestine and Jews. They don't like them. You don't have to scratch very far. Well, Martima Davidson in that debate, trying to defend Palestine. Yeah, just give it up, girl. It's just not a good look at the moment anyway. And it just was dumb. But, you know, it might resonate in them getting more seats than they've ever had. I don't know. Mm -hmm. That scares me because that's the the element of New Zealand that scares me. uh, The Greens are actually quite frightening to me. Mm. Quite frightening. You know, it's, it's so sad to see the demise of a party that I had some respect for at some point. Never voted for them, but I've been close. You know, but the Jeanette Fitzsimons and the Rod Donalds, they're long, and, and even um, Greenpeace guy, what's Russell Norman, they were they cared about the environment. And this lot, just this is not what drives them. This, they want a wedge here, and it's scary. So we've got to make sure they stay out. Oh, my nightmare is that somehow they get in. It's just my nightmare, keep me awake scenario. It's cut your wrist time if that happens. That's yeah. how I feel about it. Yeah. It's the end of New Zealand if that happens. It's certainly means that I'd be leaving. I do a satire every week called Aotearoa Farm, dusting off the old uh, copywriter muscle that Rachel yeah. had, been, had been dormant for many decades. And I couldn't believe an interview when James Shaw was talking about the attrition, so on the wealth tax, and they'd built in an avoidance rate of 25%. And when Tame pushed him on that, saying, no, 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 I'm talking about the number of people that would leave the country, you know, these wealthy that that would be in it. You don't actually have to be that wealthy on paper to attract the wealth no, tax. Absolutely. He said, oh, no, 25% avoidance. That's what we're calling it, 25% we, we have built in to leave the country. So uh, 20, James Shaw said that. James Shaw said that on Q&A with Jack Tame a couple of I Saturdays ago. I never saw ago. that. 
That's terrible. Yeah. That is terrible. And I'm sure it sounded a lot better in his head before he said, said it? it out loud. Well, so we're quite prepared to lose 25% of New Zealand's population to do this thing that we want to do, which is a tax of envy, really. Yeah, so the 25% of our wealthiest. Yeah. And I just was thinking, don't you get it, James? That 25% are the people that pay the most tax, yeah, more than care. anybody. And, of course, the number that his people and, and um, old Shanana, he likes to put out there is things like, oh, no, but the, the wealthiest New Zealanders in actuality are only paying 8% tax because of their overall wealth. And it's like, no, 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 let's not no. play the games of mathematical proportions here, people. No. Let's actually look at the numbers on the ground. If you're going to take that top echelon of people and force them to become non-tax residents outside of New Zealand so they decide to spend 184 days away from New Zealand and pay tax elsewhere. And there are already some key families that have done that. Think the Mowbrays from Zuru Toys, just to name one. So they've gone. Who funds the arts in this country? Who funds a lot of these charities? Who funds all of these organisations that are not getting enough funding directly from the government or rely on large donations? Those single big donors are incredibly important. They're less likely to invest and donate in philanthropic endeavours if they're not Mm. physically here a lot of the time. All the things the Greens love, you know. Yeah, sorry, dries up. I mean, you know, James Shaw, really, I know he looks normal, but I don't think he is normal. I think that uh, lying on your CV is pretty serious, and he did. no one's picked that up. No. Well, we are now talking about it, but that's it. I mean, the mainstream won't go there. My issue is that, oh, he had to be pushed to change his BA to say that he failed and he was, that that he dropped out, sorry, and he wasn't a very good student. But then, you know, just a couple of years later, he goes off and does his master's and gets it. But he won't talk about that. He's been asked to release the privacy waiver so that Bath University would release, and he won't do it. Why? If you've mm-hmm. got a BR, if you've got a master's, why won't you? We just lied once, you know, and you can do a master's without an undergrad. But it's unlikely unless you can convince him you've got the experience, and he clearly didn't at that point. So I, I think he's lied. I think he's a liar. I think he lied about his CV. And people think that's nothing. I think it's everything. I think it's about integrity. You don't lie on your CV. You just don't do it. So we'll find out. It'll come out eventually. But he's, uh, to me, he's... Um, yeah. And what people also forget is that, and this is the concern with all these extras that are probably going to coattail in, right, is right. that my the concern that I have is they tried to roll him as leader. Mm. They yeah. didn't want him there. They didn't want and him. They, and then when they went to their process, their caucus process to try and um, in their membership to the Green membership, well, he was kind of it because their constitution states that they have to have a as co-leaders, yeah. that you have to have they have to be Māori, and you have to have a woman. You know, he's an endangered species as a cis white man. Yeah, he is. Oh, I think it's Māori there. Isn't oh. It? Well, I don't, well, let's put it this way. I th- and Chris Trotter called it. I think uh, once they get through, you know, the dust settles with all of this and, mm. and the election, I think it might, it might be bye bye James, and you'll yeah. see Chloe and and Martima running the show. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. Oh, that'll be great. Can't wait. I have no respect for them. None of zero. I I, I actually despise everything they stand for. So I'm just being honest about that. Cycling back to the writing, uh, give us just a little, some little sousants of what it is that you're going to be talking about, like some of the stories from uh, back in the day. That uh, well, so, if people are wanting to subscribe, what could they potentially expect? They'll hear about me, you know, as a child on the farm. Um, how exciting! But you know, 
getting into trouble on the farm, things like falling down the long drop when I was a kid and what that felt like and what it smelt like and how I had to be, you know, hauled out of the long drop by my father's arm because I was drowning in poo. You know, there's a quite a good story there. There's many stories. So I'm just taking, uh, moving to America at 11, what that was like getting to California in 1974, three, late 73, and what it was like to go to San Francisco then. And Ben Haight-Ashbury was just sort of winding down and there were gay cops and lesbian cops. And I didn't mean, you know, before that, the highlight of my life was a Wanganui pie cart on a Saturday night. So, you know, what that was like as an 11-year-old. Um, I remember all these things very clearly. And I, I've been writing for years about these things and I finally just put it all together. And and it's just a it's just a way not to talk about the world as it is now. I guess I'm just getting to a stage where I'm doing a lot more. Um, I've obviously lived more than I'm going to live in the future. And there's a lot to think about and there's a lot to process about my childhood and things that I think other people will enjoy because they'll relate to it. You know, I was born in 1962. New Zealand was a different place. I was very rural. Uh, my parents split up when I was 10, 11, went to America. So vignettes about all that, plus my later life. I've been a PI. I've been a train driver. I've uh, stood for Parliament once many years ago ah, for the Labour Party in 87. Uh, in the Waitotara electorate, which in those days was the safest national seat in the country. I was promised <laughs> that I could probably get the Wanganui seat if I did that. I actually got second, which was unusual because the Democrats back then were getting second and Labour was third. But, you know, I was a train driver, so some people liked that, so they ticked the box. So I was 24 when I did that. A 24-year-old lesbian train driver back then. That's it. That's Stop it. it. That's actually quite – that was very progressive of you for it the was. day. And um, I remember the night that I lost, and v- I was in Harbour, and Vin Young won, and he, he was a great man. I really enjoyed him. And he invited me, you know, you go and you say, thank you very much. So it was a good good competition. I had a beer with him, and he said, you know, and Vin Young was very popular up there. And uh, he said, you know, you you want to be a politician, and I've always wanted to be a train driver. Cheers. You know, and we, we just got on very well. And it was when you could be different, you could and I got second, so I wasn't, you know, I did better than any candidate had done before that. And I, it was my electorate, you know. I was born in, in that electorate, and I knew a lot of people because it extended from Harbour down around the back of Wanganui. And he was so nice. But those politics days are over where that, you know, you just wouldn't do that now. But So that was an interesting experience. I had the big, bright brochure with red all over it saying, Labour, nuclear-free. You know, we're talking about different days. And, you know, so I was a good Labour Party girl for a long time. But, oh, man, they left me. I haven't left them. Mm. You know, yeah. They I, left me. I, I was uh, talking to someone about this a while ago, and they said, oh, you wouldn't know. You probably never voted Labour in your life. It's like, I lived in Mount Albert. So, yes, I have voted yes. Labour in my yes, life. And Helen Clark used to come into my place of work and we were on a first-name basis. So, yeah, I have. Actually, yeah, I voted have, for Auntie yeah. Helen. Yeah. Not once, but twice. That's right. When New Zealand felt just a bit more cohesive. Mm. So stories about that, um, stories about falconry. Of course, I've been into falconry for a number of years and I have regular, not so much in the last few years, but because of COVID, but I have regular trips to the States to do falconry over there and I fly eagles and hawks and falcons around and hunt game with them. And that's been a fantastic thing. That's my meditation. Being in the wild and the fur and the feathers and the blood flying, it's great. And it's what they do in the wild anyway. So mm. they just you just have the privilege of being with them while they do it. And so it's an absolute honour. And the thing about falconry I love is that you have to kind of disconnect from the animal a little bit in that it doesn't love you, but 
it can live with you. And if it flies away and doesn't want to come back, which occasionally they do, they'll be fine. They don't need us. So it's a kind of meditative thing for me. It's that, you know, not being too close to the animal because it's a wild creature. It's not a dog and or a cat. It's it's So there's stories around that, just different conversations with people, adventures really. Mm. Adventures so, and accidents. Falling <laughs> uh, down the long drop was pretty, probably had a big impact on me. <laughs> well, hey, it brings a whole new meaning to Upshits Creek, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Really. <laughs> so if it people does. want to find uh, the Substack, where do they find it? Uh, Riding Shotgun Substack. Put in or Rachel Stewart. Also on Twitter, you can just connect uh, on my Twitter bio. But yeah, it's just time I did this because you never know when you're not going to be around anymore and you just need to leave some stories. And I don't have any kids and I have a lot of nieces and nephews. There are stories there I want to want them to know about that. And I think they'll be amusing and fun. And it's a, it's a different way to write because I'm not trying to prove my point. And I really want to do that now because I've got past trying to prove my point. Mm-hmm. I just want to be. Yeah, it's what, it's what right. I've said. It's what I've said yeah. to somebody about this job. They said, "Oh, how are you enjoying it?" And I was like, "It's like therapy, but they pay me to do it." It's yeah, I know. Excellent. I love it. Be yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, you've got a great. You've got the best job in the world. Yeah, it's awesome. Happiness is. I think we're forgetting to how to be happy, and we've got to remember that, as yes. you said, you know, your your meditation as your falconry. We've got to actually take. We've got to take it back. And I yes. think we've forgotten how to do that in recent times. Well, I think Look, we've Rachel, got to take control. We've got to take control again. Of our own life. I was really down one day and I went downtown and I saw this woman I barely know and she was having a coffee and she said, oh, you know, sit and join us. And there was another woman there. And she's, and, and I said, oh, I can't really talk because my voice is like, a, and I'm pretty down. And she said, oh, yes, and you've had some problems and blah, blah. And then she said, you just got to take back control, Rachel. And I remember thinking, well, that's easy to say. But then I thought about it for weeks and, you know, yeah, I just got to take back control because... And it's the truth. If you want your life to be different, you go and make it different. You can't just sit around feeling sorry for yourself all day. you just got to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, well, it has been great to catch up. You go well. And as I said, Riding Shotgun on Substack is where you can find that those articles. So all you need to do is subscribe to get those each each month. It has been good to catch up. This is Rachel Stewart here on Counterculture on Reality Check Rachel. Uh, Reality Check Rachel. Reality Check. <laughs> hey, I like it. Hey, that's a good new name, actually. Reality, reality Check, Check Rachel. Rachel. Well, because I'm really good at reality checks for people. So yeah, if you need a new name, go for it. <laughs> Thank okay. you so much, Rachel. We'll catch up again soon. Yeah, cool. Okay, catch you, mate. This is Counterculture with Marie Buskey. Wednesdays at 10 a.m. on Reality Check Radio.